Entrepreneur MBA podcast purpose is to help existing business owners grow their companies past the $10 million in revenue per year benchmark. Here is your host, Stephen Halasnik. Welcome, everyone. My name is Stephen Halasnik, and I'm co-founder of Financing Solutions. Financing Solutions provides easy-to-set-up lines of credit for small businesses, and I will be your host for today's Entrepreneur MBA podcast. If you are interested in learning more about a line of credit for your small business, which I highly recommend, not just because I work for the company or own the company, but also because I've had them for over 25 years myself, please visit fscreditline.com. Again, that's FS as in financing solutions, creditline.com. Over the last 25 plus years, I have built six companies in the $5 million to $25 million range, including two companies on the Inc. 500 fastest growing companies in the United States. I love learning from people with business experience. And today, I'm excited to be speaking with Leela Ansart from Leadership Impact Strategies. Leela, as a certified executive coach, has 13 plus years of experience advising business leaders on how to increase profitability and ease in their companies by removing friction in and between their employees. According to research, the direct manager accounts for 70% of the variance in an employee's engagement and retention. Leela, I'm sorry, Leila works, no, it's Leela, right? Works with directly. Yeah, sorry. Works directly with business owners to connect the dots on where the friction stems from and how to address it in an effective and affirming way. This results in her clients significant improvement in profitability, as well as a greater sense of ease in their role as a business owner. Leela, welcome to the Entrepreneur MBA podcast. Thank you so much, Stephen. So today's topic, uh, you know, how to increase profitability and remove friction within your teams. Um, something that I do have really, unfortunately, a lot of experience in creating friction. When I first started my couple of businesses, I was pretty a pretty bad manager, uh, something I really had to work hard on getting. So I really realized how important this topic is. Tell me from your experience why uh, there is either friction or or why is it that manager that business owners or managers are really bad at being good at their jobs? Well, I am. Uh, I'm going to kind of rephrase what I think you're saying there. Uh, I think that there's a lot of good intentions in today's managers and today's business owners. And I want to acknowledge that, you know, most individuals who have started a business, I've started a few businesses in my day. um, You know, most of us have kind of our big goal and we're coming at that. We're coming at the work of, of launching a business and managing the people that are working for us with good intentions. We want to create impact. We want to create profit. We want to have, you know, beyond most people, beyond employing ourselves, we want to create some kind of a financial future as well. I think where we get caught up, and I say we because I also manage people and I think we're all human, 
Uh, so we all can get sucked into this. But I think where we get caught up is this gap between our intention and what actually comes out in the day-to-day when we're dealing with all the other factors that are required in order to, to build and, and manage a successful company. You know, we're oftentimes moving from a place of, of high, um, high uh, uh, stress, you know, with the market changes, with employee expectations and demands, with, you know, inflation. We're recording this in October 2022, and there's all kinds of, you know, fears and, and uh, questions about what's coming down the pike. And I think quite often, once you hire people, you kind of just, as a, as a manager and a business owner, just want them to just do the work already. Like I hired you for X, go do X and do it well, I'll pay you. And we've got an agreement here, right? Uh, so I think that's what I find is that there's just this disconnect between the intention of the business owner or the manager and how they're actually showing up due to all the other things that are tapping into their patience, um, their skill, and the way that they're interacting with their employees. Yeah, you're so right. You know, I'm a, I'm a good manager now, but, you know, back when I was, uh, you know, a terrible manager, uh, it, it if my job was only to manage people, I'd be good at it. <laughs> but throw in, uh, you know, I got to worry about um, customers. I got to worry about money flowing through the business. I have to worry about, uh, you know, hiring my next, pe- you know, the next people. You know, it's you throw multiple things in there, and you know, unfortunately, management goes on the wayside. You know, and that's why when, yeah. you know, I was trying to get to a point with, I remember my, my, my second business, let's talk about it. You know, we were growing really, really fast. And uh, I, I just, I was trying everything I could to get higher a second in, in command to have a second, you know, to have, be able to afford mm-hmm. somebody who could take over the management role. Because um, I knew I wasn't that good at it. So uh, when people are coming to you, is it usually because they see uh, improvements that need to be made in an area of management or friction, or do they come to you with a purpose of, of creating more growth and you, you, you help them understand that there's some issues going on as far as management or conflicts going on? Yeah, you know, I think um, to answer that question, it's really both. But I think the main thing is that um, when when individuals come across a conversation with me, whether I'm speaking at an event or they're hearing me on a podcast like this, I think sometimes a little light bulb goes on. And I, I don't mean to sound like people haven't thought of the, the, the friction between people as a real problem. It's just, we sort of, again, with all of the other pressing priorities, we can sort of just push that off to the side. I hear so many managers and business owners say, oh, dealing with people, like it's my least favorite part of the job. And but I think sometimes we forget that you can do something about that. It's it's not just a big pain in the butt that you have to acknowledge and then leave over there on this on the side and hope that it doesn't stress you out too much this week. Um, so it's really about people, uh, business owners and managers wanting to get better results, whether that's profitability, whether that's increasing or decreasing the timeline, you know, from start to finish of a project. Whether it's, you know, sometimes you've got two companies merging together, there's an an acquisition and the teams just are, you know, they're butting heads, they can't seem to get along, they're they're doing things in their own ways. And so 
it's oftentimes sort of this, um, oh my God, yeah, we can do something about this. And it's, it's practical. It's not just learn to get along better. I mean, if we all learned that lesson easy, we'd know it by the time we were, you know, 10, 11, 12 years old, because most of us had probably a decent parents who tried to teach us that lesson. Um, but it's really about taking a look at why the friction is there and then understanding that there's something very specific that you can do to both understand yourself better and understand the others that you're working with and find a middle road there. And I think that aha moment is what I find my clients again and again, like, look at me with, with this bright eyed, you know, eyebrows up expression, like, oh my God, that's why that person does that. And that aha moment releases the, just the annoyance, you know, the, the emotional, hang the the weight of that person's just a jerk or that person just annoys me. They do things so differently than I do. And it reframes it into a new language that helps you see that that person's actually bringing a ton of value to the organization. They're just going about it in a totally different way than you are. And so that's that's the bridge that I find that I build a lot of times. Yeah. So just so our listeners know, and I, I did say this in one other podcast, this is probably like a like 200th podcast. So you know, when you do enough of these, you only have so many life experiences, they can repeat themselves, especially in business. But, you know, um, so this one company I had was what was growing in leaps and bounds. It was on the Inc. 500, fastest growing. And um, the I was a new entrepreneur at the time. And I actually had to seek out a psychologist because I felt like I wasn't, te- I wasn't treat. I wasn't, I didn't feel good about how I was treating my employees. So I went to see a psychologist, and um, and and she worked with me for for six months, uh, just you know, like once a week. But it, maybe it wasn't even six months. But it was, it was great. And so what I did I, at that time, I had made a commitment to saying, listen, I need to improve my skills, and because I felt like I was the one creating the conflict in the in the office. And, and I needed to be a better manager. And so, you know, what, you know, so I, I re- read books about it. I hired a psychologist. I had hired a business coach. I took Dale Carnegie courses, but Dale Carnegie is old school, but I took Dale mm-hmm. Carnegie courses. I don't even know if they're around anymore. Um, you know, and I really worked hard at it. And I worked on improving uh, not just myself, but our processes, our, you know, um, our hiring, you know, our uh, something called the position results document, which is making sure that people understand what they're responsible for. And I became a good manager, you know, not great, but good. And I felt better about myself too. So, you know, I, I, I'm raising this to give you a real life example, our listeners, that this doesn't change overnight. You have to make a real commitment to it. Um, by the way, mm-hmm. It directly, it directly affected profits, right? Mm-hmm. It directly not only affected how I felt and how my employees felt and how turnover was, but also based on profits as well. So what, what do you have to say about that, uh, what I just uh, said, Layla? Leela, sorry. Yeah, it's okay. It's a hard name. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I, I applaud you because I think that self-awareness is key and uh, that can seem really basic, but in, again, in moments of, of really full schedules and huge responsibility lists that can then go just get pushed down a bit on the, on the priority scale. Um, 
I think, you know, when it comes down to it, those, the way that we treat people and the way that the people that work for us feel in their organization, the humanity component of our teams, right? We're not just little robots that are all doing the things we're supposed to do to get the company to where it needs to go. We're people. And so as much as uh, those that are a bit uncomfortable with emotions and and the fluidity of that may wish that wasn't the case, um, we're all people. We're people as the leaders and we're and our people, are, our teams are people. So I know I'm saying that a lot, but I, I really feel strongly there's a humanity that really needs is coming back to the surface in terms of the type of leadership that's effective in today's age. It's I refer to it as empathetic or human-centered leadership. And it really comes back to saying, okay, who am I? What are my goals? And then who are these people that are working for me? And what are their goals? What do they want? And how can we create a bridge so that I get what I want out of these people and they get what they want out of this job and we all win? And that may sound too good to be true, but I personally believe it's absolutely possible. Um, There's a study last year in uh, 2021 by Gallup. I'm going to actually read this quote. It says that today's employees want development, purpose, and in-the-moment feedback. In other words, they prefer coaching over bossing. Data also shows that well-coached teams tend to considerably outperform less ably managed teams on engagement, retention, safety, productivity, and profitability metrics. So saying that the um, the the uh, the result of you doing that work on yourself and putting intentionality around becoming a better manager led to better profitability. I absolutely agree with that. I think, you know, it's it's pretty simple when you've got someone who's sitting at their desk, whether that's at home or in a in a physical building, and they're only so engaged, they're only so motivated. Um, they don't want to lose their job, but they're certainly not going, you know, to the full extent of their capability. Um, you're obviously going to get less productivity from that person. You're going to get less creativity, less innovative solutions. And when they're faced with their own version of what we are facing as the leaders, right? Annoying people in quotes, out of quotes, right? The people that they don't particularly like to work with, the people that are different than them in terms of how they go about a project, um, they're not going to put that extra effort in either because they are coming from a place of being less than engaged. So this is not a new problem. The leaders that are listening to your podcast know this. This is not, you know, brain brain science here. But my my point is, I think that um, there's much more within our ability to change um, than I think some people realize. And given the environment that we see in today's world, I mean, you're, there's, there's a, a potential incoming recession, there's changing workforce expectations. There's, you know, this, this still battle between back to work or not back to work, depending on the field you're in and, and how physical the work is that your company does. There's all of these different changing things. And so being able to take a step back and say, what can we improve in terms of what our teams are producing? Um, and is there a way to address that right now, I think is a really timely uh, question to have for today's leaders. What, what, uh, how have you seen things since you've been in, uh, a coach uh, a, and a consultant with the, uh, with the introduction of Zoom and video conferencing and those type of areas? How has the the area of conflict changed? Well, it's certainly not gone away. 
Uh, I think with so many people working virtually, even if it's some of the time and not all the time, it's actually increased. Conflict has increased in my opinion, because when you have conflict in the first place, if you are face-to-face with each other, there are certain sort of forced interactions that happen and it it may, um, it can offer times to try to, to resolve that conflict. When you're on Zoom, people are just going to turn their video off. They're going to you know, pay half attention. They're going to have um, either legitimate or illegitimate excuses why they're not getting back to the person that they're in conflict with. So it's it's just given people more of an easy way to, um, to sort of uh, not deal with conflict. And, you know, conflict's not bad. All conflict is not bad. In fact, there's a lot of science that says that from conflict comes great innovation. It's part of what causes us to think differently. It's part of what causes a different part of our brain to engage. So it's not that we're trying to avoid conflict altogether, but when it's impacting the company in a way where it's pulling back from deadlines, where it's um, inhibiting people who need to work together to do that in an efficient way, then obviously it's a problem. But I do think with, as you said, you know, the, the virtual environment, the, the, um, sort of new world that we find ourselves in, it only increases the possibility to for that conflict to not be resolved in a healthy way. Is there any research that shows that when employees work virtually, uh, it's uh, I know it's a little off topic, but do they is, are there actually less meetings than there used to be? No. <laughs> uh-huh. No, unfortunately, you know, there are, there are some outlying companies that have made some very intentional policies around that. In fact, last year, there were several pretty large companies, Citibank, uh, I believe Meta did it as well, and, and several other big companies who designated certain days as no meeting days just to allow their staff to spend more time kind of in focused work. But for the most part, no, the virtual environment has only increased the meetings. Um, and that's, Again, something that, in my opinion, could really be looked at. I mean, something as simple as taking a standard 60-minute meeting, like that's just what your calendar automatically populates and changing it to 45 minutes uh, to give people a buffer between the back-to-back days that they have is is a very actionable tool that um, or, or tactic that can help to to eliminate a little bit of that that pressure. Mm. But yeah, no, it hasn't it hasn't decreased, unfortunately. Yeah, because I mean, I run a very, very small company now, so we don't really have Zoom meetings because we're small, so we don't really need to do that. But uh, I think it's fascinating to see, you know, the Zoom meeting uh, culture versus the old school culture that, you know, I was kind of building companies in. Um, what, Where do you see... Uh, you know the other thing about that I'll say about conflict uh, and and profitability and you know the, I hit it from very different angles uh, when I was really trying to improve in that area. One was to improve myself, but the other one was to uh, you know hit it from. And I've seen this because I know so many business owners. I'm lucky enough to know a ton. And I and I've mentioned this before. I, you know, I was part of entrepreneurial organization, and my my entrepreneurial organization forum group of nine guys have been together for twenty five years, where we meet every month. And and so, not only did I grow up building businesses, but so did the eight other guys in my group. And what you saw is 
people who are very successful at building companies, multiple companies, right? Um, uh, we all really improved in building really solid processes and procedures. And like we, we grew companies when we got more experience so much better because we knew, okay, we have to have uh, when we hire people, they have to know exactly what they're responsible for. They have to know how they're being measured. Um, they have to know when they're getting performance reviews. We had it's all formalized. And when you when we when when I saw that I did that, or the people that I'm great friends with did that, uh, it, it really helped improve employee morale. Uh, a whole bunch of other factors, which then, of course, also improve profitability. Has that been your experience as well? Yes, I would agree with you. And I think um, the difference here in in how sometimes when people hear like this topic of of reducing conflict or communication, they sort of think of it like in an isolated bucket. Okay, let's you know I could see our, my company needs that. Let's do a training. Let's do a workshop. And and I do those. You know that that is part of my business, but. I think the real beauty comes when you view the business in a more holistic way. And that's the, that's the benefit of working with, you know, like you have trusted advisors in your, I believe you called it a CEO group, but it's something that I do for companies. I, they view me as a trusted advisor to be able to say, let's talk about, you know, the, the friction points that you're experiencing. And then let me kind of dig into that with you. Let's talk about how that relates to these other four or five topics to see where the connection points are, because coming in with just one offering is typically not going to solve, you know, your $200,000 problem. You're not going to solve that with one workshop. And so being able to access some kind of a, of a, a trusted advisory individual or circle as you have is a, is a beautiful way to do that and make sure that you are looking at the performance reviews, the one-on-ones, um, not just, you know, these smaller or larger issues around, you know, customer retention and, and client acquisition and all those different things. So bringing it all together is, is absolutely the, the, the better and more effective way to go to, to impact your bottom line. I, I know you'd be just guessing at this, but from your experience, what percentage of the time for a, a company that is in conflict, has conflict issues, like major conflict issues, is it stemming from the leader? So the leaders, leaders like, like when you do the research, someone comes mm -hmm. to you and says, hey, we're having, um, we have lots of fights going on in our company. Right. Where mm -hmm. there's always issues. I'm loop, there's lots of turnover of lots of, and you do your research and you have your instincts and you're like, you can, what percentage of the time is it from the leader? I would say a very high percentage. I would say, you know, 80 to 90%. Again, as you mentioned, I am guessing here, this is not <laughs> research. Yeah, this yeah, is yeah. based on my experience. However, let me clarify when you say coming from the leader the leader is the person who, you know, this is obviously the owner operator. If it's not the owner, it's, it's the main, like in, in person functional leader, they are the person who sets the, the whole theme that who sets the, um, the mission, the miss, mission and vision who talks about what kind of behaviors are actually tolerated and rewarded within the company. So even if let's say a manager three levels down is the main 
issue in terms of how uh, a lot of the friction is happening, it's being allowed by the top leader, by the CEO. And for that reason, I do think it comes from the leader. Now, if the CEO also is providing a lot of that friction due to their leadership style, their communication style, or or decision-making style, then obviously that is going to cascade down as well. But there's such a huge uh, responsibility on the leader of the of the organization and, and the leader of each individual team when you look at it that way too. Whatever it is that you do, what you live out in front of your people is what will be cascaded down throughout your organization. So you have the power and the responsibility, in my opinion, to make sure that um, your behaviors are in alignment with the values and the type of culture that you want to create. And knowing that you have, I mean, to me, that's such an opportunity. Like it, it, it's such an opportunity to create, yes, the profitability and the bottom line numbers that you want for your business, but also to create an environment where people feel engaged and like they're doing meaningful work. Like what they do for those eight hours plus a day makes a stinking difference. I mean, that to me is is exciting. It's it's an opportunity to take something that could be wah, wah, and make it woohoo, you know? Yeah. <laughs> That's a very scientific way of saying that. But you know, it's 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 a responsibility of that leader to to make sure that um that they're living out an example that um that is something they'd like to see in the lower levels of their organization. And and I'll be, you know, I'll give you a really practical example, you know, in an organization, let's say you've got your, um, your sales team and you've got your really high performing sales individual, the sales rep. And let's say that individual gets crazy successes, crazy, crazy numbers, hits it out of the park every time. Um, but is kind of a difficult individual, you know, they, they might be perhaps um, really difficult in terms of how they communicate with others. They might be demanding or inflexible in their approach with the internal members of the team. But it's excused because this person is bringing in all of these numbers. So that is a perfect example of what behaviors are tolerated and even rewarded. And knowing that whatever those behaviors are, they are going to increase and they're going to continue. So that that would be an example of it's a responsibility of the leader to say, you know, we need to either address this or find another solution here for, for this particular issue. Yeah, and I'll, I'll address that head on because I have had experiences with that. Um, so I don't know anybody who hasn't, but um, I, I, I just want to add my two cents to say, I, I always remember going into lectures or going to conferences where we talked about that subject matter. And just, I'll make this quick, you know, uh, the impression I always got was it has to be addressed and you have to, I, I, I'll just extreme, make it extreme, get rid of that person. Right. Uh, there's always, what I found as I got better uh, was there's, there's a middle way. There's a middle way to addressing, keeping that person, putting some, you know, uh, systems in place becoming more professional as a manager so that I can keep that person and not also have them affect the conflict. Uh, you know, maybe eventually I might have to get rid of that person, but you'll know, try to put some other things in place because we all know it's hard to find really talented people. Um, uh, you know, so much so like what I even tried to do, which I carried through for the rest of my life is uh, found a way 
to generate leads so that the that one person didn't become the focal point of the company and I was able to generate leads for everybody so that I didn't have to have somebody that good anymore. So, you know, there's a way, there's different ways of doing it. And there's, you know, there's something else I just want to mention to Layla that maybe, that, you know, one of my favorite books, I love Malcolm Gladwell. He's a, he's a great mm -hmm. author um, yeah. and he's just an amazing storyteller. And he wrote this great book called Tipping Point. Mm -hmm. And in Tipping Point, he talks about the Beatles and that it's this concept of 10,000 hours and that it takes 10,000 hours for you to become a professional really at something, really knowledgeable and professional about it. He talks about the Beatles and how they accelerated that by playing in concerts six days a week and you know when they were younger in, in Germany. Well, what I've seen is that it takes 10,000 hours or let's say 10 years for you to become a good business owner. And part of becoming a business owner is become be, being able to manage people well mm -hmm. and being able to be a leader and being able to read income statements and balance sheets and managing the financial part of you know banking and those type of things and so on and so forth. And um and so I mean, do you have a comment in regards to that? Yeah, I, I think it's it all does come down to the leader of the organization. I mean, I, I agree with you. I think putting due weight and priority on your own development as an individual and how your um, your own behaviors and style impacts your team is, is a great way to start. And you can do that through reading books, through attending events, uh, you know, doing roundtable type events where you're surrounding yourself with others that you respect who have, are developed in this way. Um, and also through bringing on, you know, a, a consultant, an executive coach, someone like that. And I know I'm a bit biased because I am that person, but um, there's just something really special about taking concepts that you're reading about or hearing about, and then going and applying them to your own situation and having someone in your corner to, to really pull out of you. How does this relate to me? How does, you know, what is the application here in this specific situation? What do I need to be mindful of? How do, what, you know, what, what an antenna do I need to put up to watch for? Um, what of all the behaviors I could change, what would be the ones that are the most, um, Give, that give the most impact in the quickest way. I mean, those kinds of uh, of reflection activities that you often do, it's not the only thing you do, but you often do with someone like an executive coach are so valuable in, in transforming who you are and, and the impact that you're making on your organization. Yeah, I, 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 I completely agree with you. I had a executive coach for several years um, and you know, one of the, I remember the one of the, why I brought, I brought her on, of course, was I said earlier, well, for a couple of reasons was I, I've up until the last 15 years, I never had a business partner. And so I needed mm -hmm. somebody to talk these things through. Um, and, you know, so part of it was to help me become a better manager, a better leader. Part of it was uh, someone who I can talk to about problems that are going on and, be able to uh, address them. Um, and she was with me for several years. And, uh, you know, I always say, you got to be kidding me. The money you spent for a business coach, I, you don't really think you're going to get that back out of your business. I mean, it's really not 
that big a deal. Um, I would say that over the years, there's a lot of business coaches out there. And it's really important that you interview them, you select the right one, you you hold them accountable, you know, you make sure that they're they're good at what they do. Um, because Absolutely. there's a lot of them out there, you know. I'm I'm sure Absolutely. you've seen the explosion of them as well. Yeah, well, I think it's it's you know that's driven by a few different things. I think that one of the key things to um, that I make a decision on when I'm looking at taking on a client is is there five to ten times the ROI for this client? Is my impact to be able to come in as a consultant, as an executive coach, going to provide this business five to ten times what they're paying me? And if that answer is yes, then that's one of the checkboxes that says, okay, this this may be a good fit. If it's got to be measurable, you know that that's a huge piece of it. <clears throat> and I think you know, going back to what you were saying earlier about leaders taking on the the ownership of this development and becoming better leaders, I think a big part that's really timely right now too is with the the tight labor force that many organizations are facing, you're getting a lot of higher skilled individuals who are demanding a higher pay. And if your organization can't um, can't pay that, then one of the things that many organizations are doing are bringing on lower skilled people, but then investing in them in very specific ways. You're, I'm sure you've heard of the the upskilling, the the reskilling that many um, organizations are spending time and, and money on right now. Um, and the reason for that is because, you know, the world is changing so rapidly. Worker expectations are changing so rapidly. Probably what you need your team to do is changing so rapidly. Why not bring on someone that is within your, your uh, talent budget, but then offer the specific skills, tra- training on those specific skills that will allow them to be more versatile in your organization. Skills like leadership, skills like communication and understanding how to work with people who um, who aren't exactly like them in terms of you know how they show up, how they communicate, how they make decisions. So I think it's um, it goes back to the earlier idea of the the CEO and and what falls on them for results and then how that cascades down to the rest of the organization. Yeah, you know the thing I learned too is like there's really, especially in a smaller uh, company, uh, there's really three levels. There's the the um, the leader, there is the manager, and then there's the worker bee. And um, there's no no uh, disrespect to any of those positions. Uh, it's it's very 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 hard for the leader to go and do all the other two. So, you know, if you're going to go be a manager and be a worker B, you know, this, again, this podcast is geared toward businesses that are under $10 million in sales. Uh, so you, you, you can't do it all. It just can't. Right. And so, you know, at some point in revenue, you got to bite the bullet and bring on some managers or a manager, you know, and, right. uh, I made that, that made a big difference in me. I mean, I, I, at one point I couldn't afford to pay a manager to be a second in command. So one of the things I did that was unique, which, uh, which I hadn't heard before is I, I made somebody, um, uh, a, a dual, I gave them a dual job, which was, mm-hmm. they were, they were, you know, they were one of my be- better employees. They're, they're really good with people. And I, I, I gave them a dual role. I paid them an extra twenty or thirty thousand dollars to be both the second in command and 
to continue doing their job. And it worked out great. She was with me for 18 years. So, mm-hmm. you know, and she developed into that position. She was 23 when I hired her. She loved the opportunity. Her and I got along great. You know, it was, you know, she actually worked for me for two different companies that I owned. So, um, you know, it's great. So, uh, any last thoughts at all, uh, Leela, about what your what what today's topic was, which about building profitability and reducing conflict? Yeah, I would just encourage your listeners. You know, again, going back to how much you have on your plate already, how many things are vying for your time. This is not an issue that's ever going to go away. And so a little bit of an awareness call on you can't just keep pushing this off and think that your results are going to improve. Um, When it comes to friction within teams and how that impacts your bottom line, it's only going to either stay stagnant or get worse. So if your goal right now, if if your playbook is just, I'll deal with this later, I highly encourage you to take a different approach and to think, what could I do today? Um, you know, and maybe you don't know that and you need to reach out for some clarity, you know, from, from someone who does this kind of work. Uh, but what could I do today to make an impact, even if it's a small impact based on the time and resources I have available right now, but this is something you don't want to leave to chance. And you certainly don't want to leave it just hanging out there, hoping it gets better. Yes. And uh, I, I'll echo your, your, your comment too, as well. And by saying it, it's amazing over 25 plus years uh, of me building businesses, it really doesn't, things, it really doesn't change. <laughs> In other mm-hmm. words, is the basics of fundamentals of building a business is the same today as it was 25 years ago. You know, we, we think, oh, it's it's changed so much. We got Zoom, we got this, we got that, we got this technology, we got industries change, we got recessions, we got uh, you know, inflation. It's it's always been there. So it's just, you know, yeah, learn these fundamentals and and being able to manage your employees and reduce turnover and create a great company for people to work at, that hasn't yeah. changed. And it's uh, yeah. it's, it's 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 critical. So well, it was a great podcast. I, I knew it was going to be. Um, you know, uh, I'd like to thank so very much Leela Ansart from Leadership Impact Strategies for coming on today's podcast. If you like today's podcast, please feel free uh, to share it with a friend and also subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. And also, if you like today's podcast or any of the other one past, uh, in the past, please give us a review. It really helps us get the word out. And of course, if you're looking for a line of credit for your business, you can call us at 862-207-4118 or visit our website at fscreditline.com. That's FS as a financing solutions, creditline.com. Leela, if anyone wants to get in touch with you, how would they go about doing that? Thank you, Stephen. Yeah, my website is leadershipimpactstrategies.com. I have some free resources on there that they can check out and get some ideas right from the get-go, or they're welcome to reach out uh, to me through LinkedIn. And um, (laughs) my name is spelled, uh, I'm laughing because I was going to say just Leela Ansart, but no, that'll be too hard. So it's L-E-I-L-A. Last name is A-N-S, as in Sam, A-R-T. But I have a big presence on LinkedIn as well. So either way is great. would love to hear from your listeners. 
Yeah. And so I think, you know, my big takeaway today, it's something that, I, I, you know, I was just kind of born with. Um, but, you know, uh, Leela, you know, reminded me of it often. You know, you, you have to invest in yourself. You know, you have to invest in yourself. And, you know, t- today's awareness uh, should be that we got from today's podcast from, from Leela was, you know, you got to create a place where people want to work. It's just part of it. And that helps reduce conflicts and improves profitability. It's a, it's a simple formula, really. So, you know, on top of that, I always say this, make sure you take good care of yourself. And, you know, this is a marathon of running a business. It's not a sprint. Uh, make sure you're taking care of yourself because people depend on you, both your family and your, your employees. So everybody have a great day. It's a good pod ta- podcast today. I enjoyed it. Thank you, Stephen. You're welcome.